In your Bibles, I'd invite you to open to Romans 14. And if you have your bulletin, go ahead and pull your bulletin out. There's some notes to follow along with in there. And you are going to have to listen exceedingly fast this morning. Because uh, we have a lot to cover, so we're going to jump right in. Don't raise your hand and don't point and don't nudge your spouse. But how many of you are strongly opinionated in here this morning? Okay? <laughs> um, here's what's fascinating is uh, every one of you has an opinion even about that right there, right? So you're all, you're all opinionated. The reality is you express in different ways. Some of you are passive-aggressively opinionated, and some of you are overtly and proudly opinionated, and you share often. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I've done uh, a wedding and a funeral, and I've been with uh, international students. Those are just three opportunities where I got to hear the kinds of opinions, right? Uh, at any wedding that goes on, there are opinions flying left and right, and it can get really heated and, uh, and interesting sometimes. Um, just sitting around the table with a handful of students who are from a lot of different countries, it's fascinating to just say, um, hey, what's your opinion of this meal? Well, it's lousy. It's nothing like Vietnamese food, you know? Um, or what's your opinion of what happens to you when you die? Or what's your opinion of California weather? And there are just opinions everywhere. They're just, they're just constantly around us. What's interesting about opinions is they can lead to fights and they can also lead to friendships. Sometimes people gather around others who hold a similar opinion about something politically or, uh, or with, with, a, with regards to a hobby or with some unique metal, medical thing over here. And, and there's some community that can form around it, but there's also plenty of fights that form around the community. Let me put a picture on the screen here. We fight about a lot of things in America. And there are always current headlines that are happening. There are things being shoved at us that say, think about this, focus on this, read an article about this. I make a point of reading the New York Times um, not because I'm a New Yorker, but because it has a lot of sway on people's thoughts. And so I like to read that and just see what is, what is America thinking and what is some of the pulse on some different topics and ideas that are floating around. What I want to talk about this morning, uh, we're, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians in a couple of weeks. Uh, next week we're doing church on location uh, out in the woods. Um, and then uh, the, the following week we'll, we'll jump back into um, going through a book of the Bible. It's kind of a bread and butter here at the Neighborhood Bible Church, and I'm really excited about going into the book of Ephesians and just get the, the block to that for, for several months. Um, but what I want to look at today is I, I want to challenge us as a church, and I don't know that this is a huge, massive area of concern right now, which is often a good time to discuss things. Uh, it's kind of like uh, setting time aside with your roommate not about a specific, you know, not about dish cleaning, and let's have a big talk about it right then and there when we just had a big fight about cleaning dishes, but rather when we're kind of calm and when it's not a, a major issue, let's set out some parameters. Let's, let's put some thinking on paper and, and in dialogue so we can be on the same page with this. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to, I want to hopefully have us as a church be Bible-influenced. In fact, more than Bible-influenced, I want Bible-saturated behavior, thinking, and desires. That's what I desire in my life. That's what I desire to support my family. That's what I desire for us collectively as a church family. Are all fights wrong? What are you and I to unite around, and what are we to divide over? And I'll be getting that right. 
there are some words that are floating around, and, and what's our opinion of them? What's our, what's our biblical outlook on these kinds of words? Tolerant, inclusive, love, warm, fuzzy. So these are words, right, that are out there kind of floating around, and, and we want to look to Scripture to see what we should be thinking about some of this stuff. The title this morning is How to Win a Food Fight. And uh, maybe as you, as you see this title, uh, Summer Camp comes to mind. Maybe feeding your toddler this morning comes to mind. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what, what you're thinking about. Um, there was a great Atari game uh, right around 1982. And this was back in the day when you stood before the console and there was one option to play. It was that game, right? And then, there, and then if you want to play a different game, you like moved over to a different console. And if there was a line, you put your quarter up. Remember that? Anyone put their quarter up? Yeah. I'd collect from my paper out and go straight to the arcade. <laughs> just love it all. Um, what's interesting is I'd play a game uh, called Paperboy. And I'd play video games about being a paperboy, which is what I just earned my money from. Um, go figure. Uh, so the, 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 the player, Charlie Chuck, must dodge all kinds of flying fruits and vegetables as he tries to eat his ice cream cone to look out. Anyone remember Food Fight? Early 82, yeah, okay, that's kind of aging a little bit. I'll, I'll put my hand up. Um, we're not talking anything about video games, so just get this out of your mind. Now, moving on. Um, here's, the, here's kind of the adult title to this. Okay, that's kind of the, the creative fun day title. The, the thing we're going to talk about is this, enjoying Christian liberty for the glory of God. Now, that sounds very buttoned-up, uh, stiff, kind of sounding, but that's really where we're going this morning, and that's where Romans 14 takes us, and it takes us to this place of faith. I have Christian liberty. Now, how might he use that? What, what is it for? Why is it granted to me? I'm going to kind of dive into this. Let me just say right now that due to time, especially, I'm not going to give you a bunch of concrete answers and a concrete example to what I'm talking about. And that might frustrate some of you. It frustrates me, I believe. Um, but if your community is still meeting, uh, I know sometimes some take a break, there's a great thing to come around and say, okay, here's the principle that Dave gave us on Sunday. How are we going to apply this? How are we going to work this out? In, in real life. Our food fights go back a long way, and, and the, the, the lesson that Paul is, is sharing in Romans 14 is that we can win food finishes uh, in, in the midst of staying clean, in the midst of staying pure before God, but it's the opposite of our natural way of doing things. And this kind of winning a fight is going to be completely inverted of how you think of normally quote-unquote winning something. Let me just give you the answer this morning on how to win a food fight. Ready? So this is filling in. If you ever fill in notes and you're frustrated yourself because you get halfway through, you took really good notes, but then you kind of fizzled out at the end, you're going to score big because you're going to get all the answers right up front. It feels like you just tracked the entire way through. You'll score really good. Okay, here we go. Step one is this. Don't judge. Okay? These are four fill-in-the-blanks that you can write down and walk away feeling like you've accomplished something this morning. Here's step two. Judge. Here's step three, prioritize. And step four is to savor the victory. Hopefully you're in the book of Romans. I'll give you a second to write that down. It's going to be up on the screen for a little while. If you can multitask, follow along with Romans 14 and write. Romans 14, starting in verse 13, says this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. 
Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider the good to be spoken, evil, uh, spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But if it is wrong for a man to eat anything, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he is eating. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now let me just tell you, there's enough here to unpack uh, for several weeks, right? We're going to try and cram it into about 20 minutes, so uh, here we go. Um, this, this lesson of, of how to use our liberty responsibly is a really, really difficult lesson to learn. And it's not really difficult for Christians to learn, it's just difficult for people to learn. Uh, we, in our own history, we have this, uh, this thing called Fourth of July, right, where we celebrate our freedom. We celebrate the liberties that we've been granted through the very high cost of people that have gone before us. But we also know that uh, liberty doesn't just have a high price tag to gain. It also has a high price tag once you obtain it. Sometimes when we have liberty, uh, it's a little bit like success. It's kind of tough to handle all kinds of freedom. Here's why. Picture, right? Freedom can lead to excess. Freedom can lead to greed. Freedom leads to pride. Freedom certainly leads to ungratefulness at times, doesn't it? But we just take for granted things. Let's put a picture of that idea of whether we should be building a mosque around the ground here. I hope that elicits strong reactions to that human thing. What's fascinating though is I read uh, in certain things in another country and they have a huge static space of doing the fact that Americans need to be having this debate. Sit down and talk with someone sometimes who's new in another country and that sees a liberty that gives you one liberty of love and the other in my head. And you need to suspect that. You ain't as close as you can. So that's not enough for much of the world. Freedom and fighting seem in some ways to go hand in hand. I started in verse 13 with this is therefore, and it's kind of people who are therefore in scripture. You always think about context, you always think about what he concludes then about that. So that backs you up to kind of the first part of Romans 14. In summary, let me say this Romans 14, 1 to 12, is no less deep or beauty. Um, but, it, it, but in essence, it instructs us to accept one another. And then this passage says, don't hurt one another. So not only are we to accept one another, but we're not going to hurt one another. It uses words in our passage that we just read, like don't cause someone to stumble. Don't destroy someone that Christ works for. Those are pretty powerful words. To destroy your brother, to destroy your sister. It's more Christian liberty. And that's what we're going to kind of dive into. Here are the, here are the pithy things that come to my mind. Choose your battles. Is this a hill you're willing to die on? Don't win the battle and lose the war. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't major on time. All those kinds of little pithy things that we throw around. You know what they all deal with? In, in a nutshell, they deal with conflict, don't they? 
you say those things when there's some kind of competing value system that's either on a collision course or just exploded. And so we say these kinds of things, and we're, we're all wrestling through this on a relational level and sometimes on a, on a corporate level. Most of you here have not argued with someone recently about whether or not their hamburger was holy or not. That's a holy hamburger. No, it's not a holy hamburger. It was sacrificed here. It wasn't. You don't think about those kinds of things. But chances are you've argued with someone about something. And again, everyone argues. They just either discuss or they throw things. You know, those are the two extremes of things. Um, but, but you argue. I mean, you always have conflict and disagreement. And the reason that we, uh, that, we, that we have conflict is pretty simple. There's various places in Scripture that talk about this. Um, but I love 1 Corinthians 13, 9. You know what it says? This ought to be some of our life verses. Well, this ought to be all of our life verses. I know in part. Because I know in part, there's conflict with you. Because you know what? You know in part. And sometimes we know in part, and we know different parts of it. And so we want to argue for our part. Not recognizing or not just coming to grips with the fact that I don't know it all. You can act like I know it all, but that only reveals all the more that you know in part. When you see someone acting like a know it, know it all, you know they know in part. And so that really is the source of, of much of our, of our conflict. This image I'm going to put up on the screen here uh, is here, here's, here's the question I have for you is this, a, is this a command or is this a prohibition? Are we to judge or are we not to judge? Step one of our how to win a food fight is this, don't judge. Judge means, on one definition, to criticize or condemn somebody on moral grounds. John Irving said this, everyone feels morally superior to someone. I, was, I, was, I had a memory uh, this last week, I was sitting with my kids and something I had. The homeless guy that I knew, I haven't seen him in a while, but... Um, but he was over begging close by the church here, and I'd seen him in the back of the room. I sat down next to him, and he um, he didn't want me to sit down next to him. He didn't want his pastor to kind of stoop down and sit on his little pillow with him. And uh, so we just started chatting about that. I said, well, if you could have some folks, you'd like to the table. And he said, sure. So we went to the table, and we were discussing talking about some things, and he was feeling he had put himself totally away from Something about his pastor talking up to him and realizing he's sitting here begging for food, or begging for money, really isn't what I ought to be doing. He felt morally inferior. I'm trying to make him feel that way. That's why I want to stop him. If you're fascinated as we talk, um, something that's interesting about the homeless community is just like brothers and sisters in the family, they kind of tattle on each other. They do. They just start sort of tattling on, on different things. That, um, it's actually a great form of, of accountability. There's some people that will come to the church and say what a great work God's done, all these things, and, and I'll say, yeah, but you know, buddies are telling me about what you're doing when you're not at church. Uh, and they can't, they can't put on this, this smoke screen. But here's what's interesting. As I sat chatting with this guy, and now we're sitting at the table eye to eye, and all of a sudden he felt morally superior to some of the people that were, that were listening down to the bridge. And what it was was, I don't feel as... as to you, Dave, but I certainly feel that it's more superior to other people that kind of bad at them. The point is, don't you where you are in your life, what you think about God, you feel morally superior to someone else today. There in life you're right. Don't just stop passing judgment. If you think that you don't judge people because you have a low self-esteem, that's totally untrue. 
there's something out there that you feel more superior to. In fact, uh, if you go back to the original language of, of this word, uh, it actually means this, don't judge. So the reality here for us is this, just stop. Not only stop, but repent of it. Judging people is one of those most acceptable things. If someone came to your small group and said, hey, I've got this huge problem, what is it? Um, I feel things from my company, from my roommate, from my stores, from all kinds of things. And I see it. all just like, oh, I can't believe it. See, thank God you didn't see it. We need to pray for you, brother. I mean, we would jump all over that. We're like, you need help. You're a thief. But here's what's fascinating about judging people is that judging people can take on the form of prayer. Can't we even in our prayers not be praying to God but be judging people and talking to the people behind us in our prayer circle? I've been in church a long time. That's a massive, grievous error. And in some cases, I need to stop and pray for you guys. But it is just like a God and then judgment about that person. Do you see how insidious this thing is? It really just creeps in and it's just there. Let me just give you some acceptable forms of judging. I wouldn't judge, but do I ever do the following? Compete, gossip, compare, feel morally superior, cattle. Notice the actions or lack of actions of other people and then ask for prayer in some kind of a time. Now, just because you do one of those things, I'm not saying that you're judging necessarily, but it may be this kind of insidious of judgment that is going on. I would, I would beg of you, just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what's going on in your life. Individually, you've been just saying you really want to say, God, if I have a problem with this and I'm just kind of blind to it, would you show me that? I know I'm not above any sin, real to me, and if you bring it to my attention, I, I just feel I'll confess it, I'll, I'll repent of it, I'll make recompense with me, and I'll move on and claim it to my So step one is to don't judge. You know what the remedy for for, um, for, for being judgmental is, is getting involved in not just kingdom work. Because if you get involved in kingdom work, here's what can happen. God begins to stir in you a heart of mercy that just says, I love the heart of Kel, by the way. I, 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 mean, I hope you guys know that, that um, Jim and Kel and I meet as, as elders um, often, and there's just an amazing part behind him. And you get to hear from me quite often because um, he's praying for us. He's praying for us as leaders that we want to be um, wise shepherds and humble shepherds and under shepherds, Lord Jesus, as it is in church. Um, but but Kel, Kel's a guy that has just his heart for mercy. Let's say that God begins to spring up in you this heart of mercy and begin to notice the, the real needs of people. You begin to take compassion on them. You begin to orient your life around them. You know what's interesting is this. That will, in some ways, stop making you judge, judging because you don't have time for that. You're not running around worrying about other people. God's got you involved in kingdom work. But I want to tack on a phrase. I, I would say this. I would say that getting involved in spirit-led kingdom work is essential. Because if God stirs up in you a heart of mercy, and you begin to find out ways that you can express that love and sacrifice time and sacrifice energy and sacrifice um, you know, all this stuff to, to meet the needs of people, what can begin to happen, and here's how it can sound again, is all of a sudden you can look around our own church, you can look across the aisle at church, 
Verse 15, your brother. Verse 19, mutual edification. Verse 20, someone else. Talk with. Is this passage about us or about the other person? I mean, do you see that? You just read a short chunk of scripture and you're going, wow, I think this really is about the other person. How often do we make it about ourselves? How often do we assert our own desires, our own feelings? Secondly, under this heading is to make up your mind about matters and issues. Paul was fully convinced. You know what that means? That means that he had formed an opinion about things. You know what it takes to become fully convinced about an issue? It takes energy. It takes time. And if you're wise, it takes an openness to receive from other people, not just your limited group of people who all kind of agree with you on this subject. But it's really important, church, for you to be coming to conclusions about different issues. And to become fully convinced about something. The specific he's talking about here is food and drink. Food, maybe we don't wrestle with as much, but drink we sure do. That's definitely a hot topic to discuss amongst Christians. To make up your mind takes time, energy, and intentionality. I would challenge you to learn the lost art of debate, which I would pose as civilized pondering, a give and take that goes on, versus argument. Argue is, ar- argument can tend to be continuous, and it can be, it can be in, the, in the framework of I win, you lose. That's the only solution. Not we can, we can debate, it's give and take. But I'm going to try to convince you of seeing it my way, but I don't have to teach you. I don't have to be the framework here at the end of the day. Uh, disputable matters is what is what you call them. Romans 14 deals with talking about disputable matters. I talk sometimes about my, my experience at Trinity Christian College by the Saints with um, little other cultures and on my floor that people not able to people. And so we could argue about all kinds of things. Um, my my one who from India just is moved to tears if you're recording this show. And he says the accordion is the most unique. I just thought, huh, I haven't been thinking about that. <laughs> um, and so we would talk about this. And, and so, you know, I'd argue for something else, and I'd say, well, you can't do that. That's just what we're thinking, you know. We'd be grounded down. And then, you know what? I would, I would watch Jay, and Jay was the one time he stuck in the Jay chapter, but I had this kind of a hard rule to stick in the neck of the accordion and drop it in the neck And then I said, you can't do that. It was actually a really cool of kind of coming together on that. And I don't mean to bash it pretty much people, you know, be on the anti-Sturdian, you know, campaign. I, I just got I just got to see it from his point of view. Here's a guy in his mid twenties who's left his home country to come and study in the US. So we're gonna teach him some stories. Yeah. My eyes open a little bit. Um, you know, the guy from Washington State down the street commented on how the Washington Huskies are the best team. You know, I was just like, oh, you can just because you like the Huskies so much. You know, there's people in, in our dorm room who like soy sauce, other people like salsa. I mean, these are disputable matters, right? And to sit there and try to argue and pull all kinds of energy into, that, into those things is really kind of a, kind of a dead end. Uh, some of you in this room have a very difficult time with some of the things that I'm talking about as a real day. If paradox frustrates you, then this chapter will kind of frustrate you. Because there are, there are certain areas where it's not giving you uh, a really clear, distinguishable line. 
that you want to abolish all from the beginning. And I would just caution you, as you read the scripture, be the first one. There are times for the scripture to be the wide open for discussion, for debate. And that's kind of part of the growing up of the scripture. What the core of the scripture is that one. Some in this room, debate is highly uncomfortable. If you live in a black and white world, um, and you desire to have full lines of things on every side, then the first mystery and the first part of the book is that you can Those are things that, that are outside the realm of that. The base also really, really tiresome for those who haven't been trained or don't like to think for themselves. No one likes to think that they don't think for themselves. That's what you really need to We don't think for themselves. Yes, I do. But if we're honest with each other, we say this. You know what? I read the experts. Someone somewhere is thinking about this. And I read this author. I know you think about it. And I just think about it. Our pastor's thinking about this. I'm just going to take whatever, whatever our pastor says and think about this. I've got this expert over here. He's done a lot of research. I'm just going to think about this. Isn't that the entire thing to read the research yourself? And really become serious and think about it? That's the challenge that's supposed to be Hebrews 5.15 says this. This is a great passage to write down. But solid food, Hebrews 5.15, solid food is for the mature. Catch this. Who by constant use have trained themselves in the same good and evil. How do they train themselves in the same good and evil? By constant use. It's not just to keep taking in and taking in. It's saying, as you read the scriptures, it, it begins to saturate your mind and your will and it informs your opinion and it informs your desires in such a way that you begin to just have this innate sense that that's accurate and that's not accurate. And that's just it. I've got my opinions about it and how I do this and that, but that's just a little bit, just a little bit of gray over here. And that's, that's my challenge to us is to, is to grow in that. Here's my caution. If God has, has um, revealed something as a mandate, don't we be going through these demands? These are clear-cut demands. I haven't had one of you come to me and say, Dave, this is not simply a demand. This is a, this is a disputable matter. I'm open to that. But I've intentionally picked demands. These are clear-cut for every believer to go and pursue. If the Bible's given you a mandate, do not sit in burgundy-colored chairs on Sunday. If that was a mandate from God, you follow suit. No matter what, you follow suit. As, unless God is going to reveal that that actually wasn't a mandate, you follow suit with that. And you're about to choose loud about that. But if God has left it open and it's for you, don't take something going to see later than you can and ask for that. Don't take something like that and go speak that really loud if you can't find something that you can Now, there is good. Biblical religious thought in what kind of movie we go to draw. And I've got plenty of experience in that. But to draw a line in great love and peace is kind of ludicrous. You have to go out and attack that to a specific Make this tense blanket statement. There are times in the New Testament where Paul testifies, This isn't God, but I do recommend this. And he's making it really clear. I don't have a word from the board on this, but my, my opinion on this. Is it, is it, this is part of the, the, the wisest way to go. I try to do that too with people sometimes. I say, you know what? I honestly can't give you a full verdict on that. But my, my hunch is this, and here's why I've come to that conclusion. It's good to distinguish that and not argue everything that matches up with him. 
bring your list to your small group and have them add to yours. You know, they need open cards. So come and bang on each other, debate each other, and say, oh, you've got to have this on your list. And, and that's not something that's going back on the That's what we Finally, under this heading, it's just the idea of building up over tearing down in verses 15 and 19 and 20. The word edify, in fact, comes from a Latin word that means to construct a building. What if we went down to build a home for a woman in Mexico and the, the need was clearly there? And we went down to, to build up this home. And then all of a sudden we found out that she didn't meet at a church exactly like that. She didn't agree theologically for certain kinds of things. And she this or she that. So we decided to strip it down and tear that apart and put away. Sometimes what happens is we get confused on what's worth really going to adopt In terms of even linking arms with people in, in mercy ministry kinds of things, it's important to us and the bigger vision is just what makes the value In fact, this garden, uh, the, the, the short vision of this garden is to say, to give it away. We want to help people. One box is going to yield 90 to 100 dollars of groceries. It comes from groceries. It's a family. It's a sacrifice. That's something that's today. You know what? It's bigger than that. You know, we want to think of it as a nation. Why is it a sense that uh, we actually really have other faith communities that are existing around us? You got all the leadership of those places and we could debate and dialogue and discuss. You have some things. This all line up exactly where we are at. But I also feel convinced that the church, we're not violating something who we are, we're not compromising on who we are by doing churches with people from the community. All Christians, whether strong or weak, uh, in their faith, share this common meaning. If you're a strong Christian, then you need to grow in love. If you're a weak Christian, you need to grow in knowledge. And the end goal of some of this is to speak the truth of love. Ephesians 4, 12, says this way, prepare God's people for work and service so that the body of Christ, that this, may be built up until we all reach unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to a full measure of the fullness of God. Here's my question for us. For the last time, you sacrificed the right or non-essential for the sake of a people. Is it hard for you to think of a time that you don't have real good gifts? If you have done this a lot, I would say press on to this. Keep doing this. Finally, the step four, which is this: favor the victory. Favor the victory. In parentheses, put, but do so privately. Favor the victory, but do so privately. Settle matters between you and God, and then be sensitive to those around you. If you're unsure in an area that others may not feel liberty in, here's some thought. Ask someone. Hey, would it be offensive to you of this? Do you come over to my house all the time? Is it offensive that, that, that this is here, that I do this, or I partake in this? And just have that kind of open dialogue. That's, that's too open. I'll be honest. That's too open for most people. Most people go, I would never do that. But I can talk to my friends about that. Because I can talk to them. And I can get a message. 
So go to the person, speak the truth in love, and bring it up. And just have the maturity to say, no, I love you, and I'm not going to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. So, so go to the person and ask for that. Here's another idea. is to just err on the side of caution. There are things I do, not because I'm a pastor and I feel like I need to put on a show, but I know that I'm a pastor and people watch me. And I say, you know what, for the sake of brother and sister, I'm going to turn to the I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do things not When I go speak somewhere that I've never been before, you know, I always ask, I ask, what kind of dress code is expected to speak to that person? If it's a suit and tie, and I show up dressed like this, then the bulk of the, of the crowd there will be thinking, he doesn't even have a top button going right now. There's no polyester on his body at all right now. I can't hear the message. You see, there will be a disconnect. You can wear a suit without polyester. The bottom line is, I don't want that to be a stumbling block for people. So if they think that, man, pastors ought to dress in a suit, I'm going to put a suit on. I don't care. So I'm going to put a suit on so that you can maybe hear the message. If I'm going to go to a youth camp in my suit and every kid's going, who is this guy? What is that thing he's wearing calling? You know, it looks like Carl Sanders. I don't know what's happening here. And it, 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 then, then all of a sudden, it's going it's to detract from the message. It's going to be a, a, a problem for them. You know what Paul, uh, what, what Paul doesn't say in Romans 14 is actually quite instructive. And we're about to wrap up here. But he never tells us to go and try to change the weaker brother's opinion. Paul also doesn't say that we are... Um, we're to strive after pressing our strongly held viewpoint to enlighten all the social around us. He doesn't tell us to go sharpen our arguments so we can blow people out of the water who don't know about things in our community. And so that's instructed in things that we should not be doing. Savoring the victory in this case of this food fight means this rejoicing that unity is kept. You don't need to pray that but you can just privately say, you know what? I was praying for this book for your sake, and unity is kept here. I remember when we thought about this last year. This year, unity is kept. Savoring the victory means noticing that the building up of others in, in their faith has become more important to you than your life. That's a glorious thing to thank God for. God, thank you that this year, this person's faith is built up and unity has elevated in its purpose that me exercising all the rights that I'm discovering myself in the That's a huge milestone. Saving the victory means being satisfied that by losing or laying down, you win because you haven't destroyed your brother or your sister in life. And saving the victory means enjoying the great blessing that God has given to us. Pleasure that is just terrific and kind of thing. Conclusion. Here are the conclusions for you. I have two things. One, draw them. Draw your own conclusions. That means get in the word such that when someone comes up with a topic, you're able to enter into the discussion and not just quote an author that you read one time. That means thinking. That means praying. That means leaning on the, the, the promise of God that says, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the light of the Holy Spirit, and He'll give you instruction on this. So lean on that. But it's not going to happen by osmosis. It's going to be a solo decision. You get tons of stuff tonight. It's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take walking in obedience. It's going to take asking and speaking and knocking. It's going to be. It's going to be finding holy mentors in your life and asking them, "How does this work out in real life?" 
here's the signal of health and laughter we can keep talking. I was saying something, I was probably saying something stupid about um, And uh, I think I was talking to someone way up here in the cloud, and they said this, they said, but how does that work out in real marriage? And I, I stopped them actually, and we just got to talk about that. And it was so cool that not just talk about it, it was some big idea up here, but they really flushed that out. I think it's not the truth if you get the situation to do this. Secondly, make sure that you aren't swallowing camels, splitting hairs, washing the wrong part of your dishes, or being a blind guy. If you don't catch any of that, look at the woes of Jesus to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Seven I wills that I discovered from Romans 14. I wrote these down a long time ago. It's just some person study. I put this in my office wall because it was really important to me at this time in my life to write these down. Here they are. Dan, come on up. I will not parade or impose my opinions on other people. Secondly, I will allow the Creator to be creative and in the process remember that He likes variety. Sometimes things are just different. Thirdly, I will continue to learn. Fourth, I will value people over rights, position, or the need to be correct, and even my own liberty. I'll value people over my own Christian liberty that I've been given. Next one, I will be clear and loud about the things the Bible is clear and loud about, and will remain pliable and quiet on matters which the Bible is silent. Number six, I will think for myself, not simply of myself. Number seven, I will find my rightful place by leaving God in His God, thank you that you gave us difficult passages to work through. Father, I praise you that we have the Holy Spirit of truth. That as you said before you departed this earth, Jesus, it's going to be better that I go away because now the Holy Spirit of Christ is going to dwell in you. And the way that you fulfill this promise of never leaving us, never forsaking us, is by providing your Spirit. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for enlightening us with the beauty of this earth to us. Father, I pray that you would keep the unity of this church. I pray, Lord, that when we have grievances, that we would keep them biblically based, that we would keep them back to Scripture and into the safe grounds of the revealed Word of Scripture. But God, that we would be pliable about things that you've been silent about in the Word of Scripture. I thank you for the maturity and the grace that my family, my church family here has shown me over the years, God. I pray that I would reciprocate. I pray that we would continue to walk and strive for unity and for things that honor and glorify you. We can do this